Hi, lovely listener. Just a quick note. You're listening to an episode of the podcast, which was recorded before the show changed its name to Tea with Kings and Queens. So now you know. Enjoy. Tea with Queens is proudly supported by Kogarashi Coffee. And Kogarashi is giving us the opportunity to have speciality coffee roasted to order and delivered straight to your door. Kogarashi roast in-season coffee using beans from small farms across the world with a focus on quality over quantity, with their importers working closely with farmers. As a special treat for Tea with Queens listeners, the lovely people at Kogarashi are offering a 10% discount if you use the code QUEENS at checkout. So head over to kogarashi.co.uk, that's K-O-G-A-R-A-S-H-I, and enter the code QUEENS to receive a discount on your order of respectfully roasted in-season coffee. Hello my loves, I'm Carly Deering and welcome to Tea with Queens, the podcast where I chat to some of the most exciting performers from the world of drag, burlesque and cabaret. In today's episode, I'm chatting via Zoom to the burlesque marvel that is Missy Malone. We talk all things vintage, circus, the history of burlesque and Missy's acting career, including her part in Game of Thrones. One thing to note is that we spoke before the murder of George Floyd, which is why we don't discuss the protests and changes currently going on in the world at the time of publication. But I will be posting links that I found useful in supporting the Black Lives Matter movement in the podcast description. Enjoy this episode. So today I'm lucky enough to be speaking to international burlesque star, producer, actor, model, vintage empresario and mid-century bad girl, Missy Malone. Hello, good afternoon. Hi, thanks so much for speaking to me today. It's a real pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure for me. Thanks for having me. How are you coping with lockdown first and foremost? How are you doing? Um, well, I mean, completely honest, it's been ups and downs, good days, bad days. Um, I found the beginning of lockdown really difficult. Um, I just, you know, didn't know what to do. My whole world had stopped. So mm. all the shows that I was due to produce you know I had one my 11th anniversary show um, of my own touring show in April Mm. and everything just came to a very abrupt halt Um, all the bookings I had for the rest of the year vanished within the space of two weeks Mm. Um, and it was just terrifying you just didn't know when and we, we still don't know when performing or anything like that will be possible again um and it's really, it really makes me sad. So some days I'm really sad about it. Um, and I think it's normal, you know, some days I feel great and I'm really looking forward to the future and other days I just feel like crap. Mm. So, you know, but um, I've been focusing on other areas of my business um, where I can basically online and trying to test myself and see if I can, can market and work in a different way basically now. <laughs> Well, one thing I've particularly been enjoying has been your online series, Missy Malone's Collection. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that for those that haven't seen it yet? Yes. Well, I started that basically for myself, just I wanted to give myself a target of something to do every week. Um, something to keep me sort of um, with a goal, like because I didn't have shows or performances to do, um, something where I could still present myself in some way to Mm. my um sort of following because I didn't want to just go completely quiet um Mm. 
and I thought well you know it's got to be something light-hearted something that about something that I'm happy to just chat out um but I do feel I do find it quite like it's really funny I could dance in not many clothing in front of <laughs> unlimited people but just chatting like on a on a little screen is mm. makes me very nervous um but I thought well you know what I've I've been a collector of costumes and um, burlesque memorabilia and all sorts of things since I was in high school and a lot of it's got really interesting stories and people you know when I've when I've shared bits of information with people in the past they've gone oh well, that's really interesting you know you should do a book you should do a whatever um so I thought, why not just start sharing some some of it because it brings me joy and other people might find it interesting and actually they do. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. It should be a book. That was something I was going to ask you. Um, it, it's been it's been a real treat because you don't just get to have a peek into your collection. As you say, I've learned things about the history of burlesque and I've read a lot about it, but these are things I've never heard before. And I think my favourite was probably the Jane Mansfield hot water bottle. Yeah, it's that. Um, yeah it's um all these little stories that are like lesser known facts they're maybe not that important in the scheme of things but they're things that have stuck in my head and things that make me you know really appreciate that piece in my collection for that reason so I thought I'll just share the information that I find interesting um it doesn't have to be a really you know like history lesson in any way it's just little anecdotes about the pieces that I have basically I think that it sort of encapsulates why I like vintage because they're all things that have a story and have a history yeah and also this this industry the sort of burlesque um cabaret pin-up all that sort of um that genre it's a it's a it's a quite a humorous area to mm. look into it's 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 not you know it's not highbrow um <laughs> a lot of that stuff gets thrown away as history goes on you know there's a lot of i'm sure i don't know grandfathers who had pieces like that that they you know had when they were <laughs> i don't know in the military or whatever and they've just put it in the bin because it's not you know it's not anything that anybody <laughs> thought is worth keeping and that's why i love it because it's you know it's really throwaway and it's it's a bit of fun and it was never meant to be serious a bit of you know instant joy titillation whatever but it's not meant to be something um really highbrow and mm. that's why I adore it and I think it's important to try and keep these sort of facts and histories alive um, and I'm very thankful to to burlesque performers of the past for sort of allowing me this um this lifestyle that I have and this career that I have because a lot of them certainly didn't have easy easy lives the first time around and mm. it's very much you know a nostalgic um nostalgic and fun job to have now and we don't face the same sort of hurdles that they did then mm. so I think keeping their history and information about them alive um is really important to me yeah. and a lot of people just find it funny but you know I think it's quite important oh it's great the, the costume pieces that you have how do you keep them do you do you wear any of them are they just pieces that you sort of care for well I basically I I will buy whatever I think, you know, that I really like. It doesn't matter if it fits me or not. Um, I've been very lucky in the fact that a lot of the pieces do fit me. Um, I'm quite, I'm quite petite. I've got quite small sizing, like small 
feet, hands, head, mm-hmm. things like that. And I tend to fit vintage clothing quite well. Well, I just think I'm, I'm petite for modern day standards, which helps with um, older items of clothing because mm. a lot of it is is smaller. And um, I've just been lucky in the fact that I can wear quite a lot of it, but I can't wear it sort of during shows or for any length of time because a lot of it would not stand up to wear the, yeah. the two delicate things. So I try and um, archive the pieces by having them photographed. If I can wear them, I try and have them photographed professionally um so that at least i have you know an archive of how they look when they're worn and then you know i just don't know what will happen in the future if i ever sell the collection if i ever give the collection to somebody else um it would be nice just to be able to to look back and see what they looked like and that i got a chance to to wear them because i don't think you know that i'll always be able to fit them so it's <laughs> nice to do it now um, and i've definitely got pieces i can't get into at all and pieces that I can't fill out at all and um yeah so there are pieces I just care for that I am the sort of guardian of at the moment and I store them um not like um museum archive standard but they all have their own boxes and they're Mm. all um, wrapped in tissue paper (laughs) they're all they're all in airtight containers so that nothing can get to them so I do take good care of them, better care than my own clothes, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd really recommend listening to the series. Are you going to carry it on? It's on your Instagram channel, isn't it? It it is, yeah. And I I just, like I said, I didn't make any plan to make it a series or anything, but then suddenly I had seven or whatever before I knew it. And then I had a a couple couple of weeks. I lost motivation. I lost my sort of like confidence in it and I just wasn't sure whether it was you know something that people were interested in and since I didn't do it I had a few people messaging me saying I really enjoy the when's the next one <laughs> so I yeah I definitely definitely would like to do another one and I'm hoping maybe next week I can pick up my stride again and, and get back into it but yeah I hit a, a bit of a, a blip with my confidence there um and I think yeah I think yeah I found myself thinking about the next sort of thing that I could chat about so I think it's back on the horizon in the next week or so yeah and it's on my Instagram and I put it in a little um series in the the, the IGTV section um they're all lined up there at the moment I think as you said um talking to the camera must be so different from your usual performing that you're doing so are you enjoying it now I guess it must have been a new challenge yeah, I still I, I still find it a bit odd. I I um because it's literally just, you know, chatting to a a recording device. I do feel self-conscious and I feel um you know, I question. I can't feed off anything. So when I'm performing, I feed off the audience. When I'm acting, I feed off other actors. I feed off people's faces. They don't even need to say anything to me. Um and I just, yeah, I do find the device, it's not my natural thing to do, um, mm. is self-record. So it's definitely been a learning curve. And when I watch them back, I think, oh, it wasn't too terrible, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, yeah. they're lovely. Um, so linked to that then, you've been doing some digital burlesque from home. How has yes. that been? Well, again, it is a challenge. And... Yeah, so I've done a few online shows. Um, one, the first one I did, which 
was great actually it was really great sort of introduction to to doing that it was quite early on in the lockdown as well and it was a doctor sketches for doctor sketches nottingham mm. and um i was uh, i did i recorded pre-recorded a performance especially for for the event and scarlet daggers who's the host she hosts the event live and then presents the the act and then the poses and times the poses like it would be a normal life drawing sketches class um so it, it works really well um and the, the, the poses we photographed rather than trying to hold them because there's no real point you can just yeah. put the, the pose <laughs> up for the a lot of time and give the artist a chance to draw and then it, it disappears again <laughs> um and i you know we did that and that was that was great um, but the strange thing was that I was able to join the class. So I was able to actually join in and, and That's great. You know, join everybody else with the drawing. Very unusual. And uh, <laughs> that was great. And the next one I did was a live, um, a live show for Luscious Lockdown. And it's a, uh, a Finnish producer, well, mm. Finnish collective that, that were producing the show. So it was majority fin- Finnish performers. Um, and just two British performers and it was live on Zoom and I ha- I'd never even downloaded Zoom until that show happened <laughs> and uh, I was terrified I was really terrified and it was on my birthday as well on the evening of my birthday <laughs> it's all very very strange and um, the audience you know you could see the numbers and the, the people but you couldn't see them it wasn't an interactive audience um, and I watched the show. I watched all the other performers perform, and that was great. And then you just suddenly have to press your button, and you're on. Yeah. And, you know, it is like it is the same as you know. You get introduced, you press your button, you go. But it's different. It's just different when there's nobody to respond to you, and it just it is very lacking in something. Like mm. it's great that we have it, and it's great that we're all still able to connect with each other and still perform. But it, it's just so different it's so different um yeah I think I'm just not used to it yet I definitely will keep but it's um it's a strange strange time right now yeah (laughs) I sort of feel like I want to do it for for slightly different reasons now so it's like I want to still be connected to the performing world I want to still be active I want to help produce you know i want to be in shows that are continuing performance and arts and i want to support other mm. people who are doing the same i've watched a lot i've um, watched a lot of musicians um and you know out with the burlesque uh, the burlesque scene watched a lot of friends who are different kinds of performers doing live things and i'm trying to do as much as i can to um support it and i enjoy watching it all but the actual performing part doesn't have the same reward like it doesn't have the same reward as as normal so it's not as rewarding as a as a performer but then I don't think it's about that right now like for me it's like I I want to do it for another reason Mm. um not just for myself whereas usually it's got a bit more selfishness in the fact that I love doing it um yeah it's just a different kind of thing I want the arts to be continuing right now and that's that bit I'll do whatever whatever people would like me to do yeah basically right now well I wondered if we could go back to the start of your career then because you started off in circus didn't you before you got to burlesque so could you tell me a little bit about circus and then how you started in burlesque because how long have you been performing for now oh it's 15 years 15 
Yeah, 15 in um, 50, it feels like. 15 <laughs> years um, in March, it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a very long and winding tale. Um, but yes, I started 15 years ago on a burlesque stage, but I was um, performing in other capacities before then. Mm. So where would you like me to start? How far back? Wherever you like. Okay, well, I am... Um, from the age of 10, I'd been part of a youth theatre and um, had worked professionally in theatre from quite a young age. And um, it was when I got to, I must have been about 16, um, I decided that I just wanted to be a performer and, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I rebelled a bit. I got what I needed in school, like the, the basic grades I needed. Um, and then I didn't stay on to do you know, the final year. And instead, I joined a circus collective in Glasgow. Mm. And um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my future. So I was, the, the best, you know, grades I got were in art and drama. And I thought I will make a portfolio and I'll apply to art college. And that was as far as I thought ahead. So while I was working on my portfolio, I joined this, this um, circus group in Glasgow. And for one year, I got um, funding from Glasgow City Council to be trained by a professional circus um, teacher wow. in various um, skills to performance level. And at the end of the year, we did a sort of showcase for the for the kids that had been um, put through this this um, support system. And yeah, it was it was a great incentive for me to to go and do all that and learn all that and I loved it I absolutely loved it so I was there three three days a week in Glasgow training and I specialized my special special skill was trapeze and um, my secondary skill was stilt walking yeah which I still do quite regularly actually um I don't do trapeze anymore it's a very um all-consuming skill mm. you know you, you are a trapeze artist and that's your life um so it's hard. very hard on your body <laughs> oh it's so hard on your body so you know it's just it is it really is and my teacher she was a trapeze artist um and she told me some horror stories you know it was like she 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 told me how hard it, it would be and she she really wanted me to go and apply to do circus you know as a degree at circus space um and I just didn't feel that it was exactly right for me. I felt more of an more of an actor than I was a sort of physical um, being. Mm. Even though I could do the physicality, I did feel more like I was drawn to characterization than anything else. Yeah. Um, I've been dancing since I was very young, like five or something. So the dancing was a sort of natural thing. I've I've always been quite physical, and you know that was a natural thing. But no, the, the circus, I absolutely adored it. I loved it. But I moved away from it after I was accepted into art college. And I went to Edinburgh College of Art. Mm -hmm. And I did four years there. And while I was there, that's when I discovered um, the world of burlesque, which was very tiny in the UK at the time. Yeah. Um, at the time, I didn't have the internet. I didn't have a laptop. I didn't have anything like that. I used <laughs> the, the the computer that the... Um, the uni like the the lab the computer lab to research stuff there was no youtube 
um, so yeah, it was just I literally looked up images of previous performers from the past, thought they looked fabulous, sort of made a guess at what they were doing, um, and then found that there was a scene in America um, with all the performers who are very much my peers now, um, and looked into what they were doing and I sort of just made it up as I went along to be perfectly honest I was a student I used to um go to nightclubs around Edinburgh and just ask to speak to the the promoter of the, the night and say oh you know I like your I like your what you're doing here um maybe I could perform for you on a whatever you know on a Friday night <laughs> they would just look at me and be like well, what, do you, what do you mean and then I was like well you know I'm gonna do all this sort of stuff and they just let me and like at the time nobody knew what, <laughs> what was going on but it became a thing that I did and people were like oh there's that girl and she does things with feathers and stuff and balloons and yeah you know it's quite cool people like watching so you know I started being hired quite regularly around um, Edinburgh and Glasgow while I was a student and it became you know my I didn't I was able to quit all my other jobs and just do that while I was studying. Wow. And then by the time I graduated, it, it was, I had so much work um, that I just went straight from graduation into full-time self-employed performer. And now it's 15 years later. <laughs> That's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of like a natural decision, but it, I just think I, I hit the wave at the right time. Yeah. Um, what was your first performance? my first ever like burlesque performance mm. officially was at a club in Glasgow at the um, O2 Academy. <clears throat> I don't know what it's called now or if it's the Academy. Is it? I don't know what it's called now. I think mm, I'm not sure. It was the O2 Academy in Glasgow and it was for a club that I don't think runs anymore called Club Noir and it was a Scottish um, production and they had a sister club because it was run by two sisters and actual actual sisters, <laughs> twin sisters. One one lived in London and one lived in Glasgow and they produced one produced one in, in Glasgow and the other sister produced one in London. So I did the Glasgow one and um, that show was in March 2005. Is that right? Is that 15 years ago? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So March 2005. And um, yeah, and then soon after, only a few months later, I went to do the other show in London. And um, that was at Cafe de Paris in London. And um, that was the, um, I'm going to say the wrong name now. Get it right. The Wam Bam Club. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was it Wam Bam? Yes. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't Wam Bam. Sorry, I'm getting that wrong. It was the Flash Monkey. It was okay. my first ever London performance, the Flash with a live band. And when I was there, um, there was a couple there who are now very good friends of mine who were from Birmingham and they ran a club called The Candy Box. And they saw me perform there in London and asked me to come and perform in Birmingham. And that's where it all took off, really. After that, The, the Candy Box was my, it still is my favourite ever show. Um, and yeah things just went mad from there after that it was you know I I was performing in Europe quite a lot yeah it just went from that point onwards quite quickly within within a year I think of um, me graduating that it just was like the next two or three years were like the peak of what mm. I experienced and in that time how do you think burlesque has changed and how have audiences changed 
it's yeah it has changed a lot actually um at the beginning so i'll do it in two halves okay performances have changed performers have changed um in that the first the beginning for me a lot of people were just very excited about what this was it was all new there was no rules mm. a lot of people were doing their own style there was no sort of not a lot well there probably would be judging happening but it wasn't as apparent it was very free you could do what you wanted be what you wanted wear what you wanted um you made everything yourself like there was no costumiers like that were well known that you could go to to mm. have costumes made like there are now there's a lot of companies and other performers that that produce amazing um custom made you know full um stage costumes but back then there wasn't anything like that easily found so you made everything yourself and that's sort of how how good you were at making things were dictated how good your costumes were really <laughs> um so you know a lot simpler and you know it wasn't all about really expensive you know thousands of pounds worth of crystals on everything it was you know it was sequins and mm-hmm. you know <laughs> beads and stuff like that. it was a lot um lower grade i would say and this it's funny the styles have changed through time so at the beginning there was a lot of corsets and stocking peels and mm-hmm. um you know emulating dita a lot yeah. of that sort of classic classic 40s and 50s style um pin-up cheesecake sort of style um, and then it went through a phase of real um, sort of, it got really sexy. It still yeah. is quite sexy at the moment. But real, you know, bump and grind, real sort of um, filthy. It makes you feel a bit naughty watching it. And that's great too. And there always was performers like that, but it mm-hmm. became a, a sort of more fashionable thing. And then the cheesecake and the pinup stuff sort of went down yeah, so it does change, but the, my favourite phase was sort of in the middle of my whole time, where everybody was keen to do better and make things like always up their game. So there became this real popularity, which I thought was a really good thing, in skills. So people that had a skill of some description of their own that mm. could make it their own. So like whatever it was, however obscure it was they would produce an act that was, you know, not um, able to be replicated Mm -hmm. because it was their thing that they did. And I thought that was a really exciting time, actually, in the the scene was when everybody was just, you know, producing these outstanding sorts of performances, one after the other after the other. And it was just setting people apart. And that was... um, I can't remember the exact year. I'd have to properly look through it, but it was it was around the year that Anna Philaxis, um came second runner up at Miss Exotic World. Yeah, of course. Just blowing everybody out of the water with creativity and like execution of the act, and it was like that was the peak. You know, people were doing such exciting things. Um, I think people are still very much doing that uh, now, but it's it's again it's settled into a more normal thing that skills mm. are quite um like common you know because we started off without much skill going on <laughs> and then when it all came in it was really exciting um yeah it has changed the performances have changed i've noticed that and, and the then, size the amount of performers there are how do you keep it fresh for you 
for me, yeah, I try and watch a lot of shows, a lot of other performers, see what people are doing, see what excites me, see what makes me want to to better myself. Um, I'm always inspired by by watching others. You know, I mm. I get excited when I see people and I think, yeah, no, that's amazing. Like, I would like to try and match, you know, in some way that sort of level so yeah i mean i'm always chasing chasing goals that i've set myself mm. and the show when i started producing the show well, that was a big a big step for me was yeah i was just you know i performed in a lot of shows and i didn't particularly always like the way that people produced shows mm. so i wanted to produ- produce a show that i thought was run properly but also quite um traditional in the sense like yeah. the ones that would the 50s um that toured the country um and because i was a performer and i know you know what performers need and how to treat performers from my area and i just wanted it to be a good quality show so that was a huge step for me and that was you know i felt like a real achievement in what mm. I was doing um as a performer not just a performer now as a producer who could create work for others um yeah that was that was exciting really exciting yeah but I mean I feel like I have been kicking about a while so I'm always trying to (laughs) you know refresh and um not be left behind basically but you know there's there's room for everyone you just got to keep trying to do the best that you can really and outside of watching other performers do you still largely draw from sort of your vintage inspirations and I know you're a big Marilyn Monroe fan and does that still keep you going absolutely yeah yeah absolutely I'm fascinated by all things vintage I'm always reading books about you know golden era Hollywood either true or fiction um (laughs) I'm always looking at vintage clothes and fashion I collect like like you know um, burlesque and uh, pin-up and cabaret memorabilia and I add to my collection probably every month or so so there's always something else that sparks my interest um, and makes me want to you know emulate or try and create something similar to something that I've seen from the past um, I wondered bring I- back Sort of as someone with all those vintage interests, sort of I'm similar. I just like old things, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, fashion, mm-hmm. films. I mean, even my music interests stop at like 1998. <laughs> so my yeah. Yeah. fashion and film probably stop about 60, but then my music interests finish in about 98. Um, do you? I always feel like I'm just so un, uh, just disattached from popular culture. Do you ever have that feeling and worry about it? Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I never listened to the radio or anything, like modern radio. I listen Mm. to radios that are those those radio stations that just play vintage music or music from the 80s or like say that sort of thing. Um, And yeah, I'm a little bit out of touch, I think, with... um, the youth you know like the the teenagers mm. um of of now but um, I, it doesn't worry me too much it doesn't worry me too much um i'm always keeping an eye on what's happening in sort of um artistic and subcultures and things like that and yeah. i'm more interested in the movements that are happening there and in the arts 
than what's actually trending on whatever um because it's it seems to be a timeless thing it goes up and down in popularity but there's always an interest in in things from you know different eras and i'm more interested in that actually than current current times um mm. current trends yeah i mean i can't can't suit everyone's so i don't try to to be uh, up to date and trendy <laughs> yeah it's not for me it's not for me um so it looks like you've now got your own vintage business as well so you've taken your interests in vintage even further um what's that process been like so you've got a a real shop and online i've seen that you're taking time out now to do it up during lockdown it looks very exciting what's that been like um that was a huge um leap into the unknown and it was a really big learning curve um huge learning curve so the shop is going to be two years old at the end of june and um I've been trading online and at vintage fairs and things for about three years before we opened the shop. And I had a an Etsy shop and I sold online and yeah, at vintage fairs and various markets. Mainly because I enjoyed it. I enjoy the I enjoy the sourcing of things. Um and not always for me to keep so if i see something and i think it's amazing but it's not for me i can still appreciate what it is mm. and i've got the you know skill set to be able to to slightly repair things if they just need a little bit of attention um because my degree at art college was um, costume design so i've got the sort of techniques to be able to do little bits and um so i started doing that just because i enjoyed it and give me a, an excuse to to go shopping a lot <laughs> and buy something to sort of repair or clean up and sell and it was going really well and it started to become obvious that it could be a second business um i never ever assumed that it would be a physical shop i thought online would be the way and it would work around everything else i do mm. but it became apparent um a couple of years ago that we could take that step because Basically, we were having to hire, you know, studio space to keep everything safe and dry and warm. Yeah. And the leap to the shop was not, but yeah, it still was a leap. But financially, it it made sense to try and have a, a shop that was, you know, that's where we store everything too. So it's like a glorified mm. stock room, a functioning um, stock place where all the online orders come out of all the things happen there but people can also visit it Mm -hmm. and we've always we don't run quite like a normal shop we're before um before lockdown we were only ever open um three days a week so people got to know that about us and that that was the hours that we were open and the days we were open you can make appointments with us if that doesn't suit you know the times that you that you can come are not the times that we're open appointments are possible mm-hmm. and I run it with my husband and my my parents are up in Edinburgh but they, they help out a lot and it gives me the flexibility to still be able to travel and perform and do everything else that I do while running the other business and it just yeah it took off it went really well my husband was able to quit his other job to do that with me wow. um which was amazing in the first year and um, this is our second year we were like <laughs> you know strength to strength and then um this has been quite a big hurdle 
obviously. And yeah, the support we've had online is amazing. And I'm just trying to to keep that momentum going mm. online and trying to focus on the positive. And yeah, like it's a very old shop front we have. It's um, 1760 is the wow. date of the shop. So it's a very old shop. It's like something from a Dickensian novel. If, you come, if anyone comes and visits, they'll know what I mean. And um, it needed a little bit of attention. So it was the perfect time to do it now while we're closed. So that's what's happening right now is it's having a bit of a facelift. And it'll look lovely by the time we're out the other side. Mm. Um, I'm confident that we'll make it out the other side. Yeah. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot more. Not that I didn't think it would be, but it, it was definitely a big learning thing for me to run two businesses um mm. side by side but where there's a will there's a way you know and you're, <laughs> you're open online aren't you if people want to browse yes. so it's malone's vintage dot co dot uk yeah and yeah that basically bounces you into the different sections so we have ladies wear men's wear homeware jewelry and there's <clears throat> an easy sort of shop section that will take you to the collections and on Instagram, um, we're on Instagram and we do a lot of things direct on Instagram. So if, you know, if people ever see anything they like, they can drop us a message and we ship worldwide unless it's, you know, a huge piece of furniture or something. <laughs> but everything else is very easy. And yeah, it, everything can be worked out um, directly with us. So Instagram's a great platform, actually, for people to be sort of comfortable enough to just ask questions about things yeah. it doesn't feel so formal at the yeah, website you can definitely ask for more photos or you know things like that so yeah yeah it's just trying to ride this storm basically yeah right just holding on I'm aware we haven't even got into your acting career yet so I want to ask oh, you about oh. that <laughs> So you've been, oh, all sorts of things. Agatha Christie, Father Brown. What have been your sort of acting highlights over the years? Well, when I was younger, that was really where I thought I was headed. I thought Mm -hmm. I would be an actress and that would be the, that would be it. Acting is quite a different, a difficult um, industry. And my choice to go into art college and be more of a sort of rebellious artist (laughs) it was a different, you know, that was a different direction to a lot of young actors. And maybe if I'd gone to art um, acting college, it would have been slightly different. But I just didn't feel that draw at the time. So I'm a bit of a rebel actor. Like I, I, I'm pretty much untrained compared to a lot of people. But, you know, I have an agent and I still work and I absolutely adore it. And I would like to do more of it. I always would. But my highlights would be... When I was young, I did a, when I was, what age was I? I would have been 17, I think. I did, 16, 17, I did a a touring show um, that was an award-winning show um, in Scotland called Soft Boy. And that was my first experience of working professionally, being paid professionally and um, touring. And it was a really gritty play about um, young teenage male suicide. And it was really hard going and um it was really well received it was a scottish a new scottish writer had written the piece and we we had great great feedback um i think because people were shocked that young youngsters could could sort of produce something so um gritty um at such a young age because yeah we were the people that we were discussing basically Mm. and um 
that gave me a real sense of what it was like and the sort of hard work that it was. So that that was a real highlight. Um, and then moving more recently, uh, so two years ago, I went to Belfast and um, filmed a tiny, tiny, tiny part. I had a name, I had a husband. Um, <laughs> I had many auditions to get that part. And um, it was for the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones. Wow. And, um, it was like that was a real highlight for me because I was such a big fan of the show. So to 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 be on that set, and I don't know if you watch it, but yeah, yeah, episode which was like everything was coming to a crashing of ultimatum <laughs> yes. in the next episode. It was amazing to be to see like what was going on to be on the set, you know, a set of that magnitude of things happening that were. I've never seen anything to, to that scale um, to, you know, to meet actors that were playing these characters that I'd watched for such a long time. And oh gosh, fans. who did you get to meet? Amazing. Oh, well, yeah, most, most of them, I either, I, you know, I didn't chat to all of them, but I saw most of them all in costume, you know, so when you're, when you're having your tea and, and Jon Snow walks past and he's saying, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, you know, it's like, yeah, it's exciting. And my, um, my part in the end was really tiny it was really small I never spoke um my husband did speak and but I had prosthetic guts um I had a very bad injury and it was so much so much fun to shoot so were you in the city that Daenerys burnt down yeah Ah. yeah so at the end when everything's going very badly um and uh, I uh, is traveling through to to try and get out I'm one of the montages of um destruction oh I'm gonna go back uh, and check that out yeah, it's amazing. I don't look like I look like when I'm uh, in my stage makeup. That's all I'll say. And um, yeah, so that for me was a real highlight. I don't know if anybody else would ever, you know, notice me, but for me it was amazing. And then this year, my highlight was um, my hi- highlight was the Pale Horse, the Agatha Christie's Pale mm. Horse on BBC One, and it was. I don't know if. If you if you watched it it was a really interesting mm. sort of dark um, bbc drama i love all things about witchcraft and all sorts so i was very excited when that one came through and then it ended up that um the character that i was cast for was rita who was <laughs> a showgirl who worked in oh. a burlesque uh, hall in soho <laughs> who is giving boyfriend to her mate in the backstage area so it basically just looks like me on a Friday night, as normal, <laughs> and a lot of my friends themselves. They were like, "Oh, so you're doing some acting, but you're just acting you in your other job." <laughs> Ideal. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, it's very much art imitating life. If if you could choose a golden era Hollywood movie to be in, what would it be? Oh, oh, I like. Oh, I think something like something probably like How to Marry a Millionaire. Mm. Something. Um, something funny, comedy, but like great outfits. Yes, and great then, outfits. And, and amazing co-stars. Yeah, know? yeah. Something like that with another couple. Of, I love How to Marry a Millionaire because it's all um, it's all like wily, um, clever ladies being mm. not, you know, like they're all, <laughs> they've all got bad, you know, bad um, plans. They're not the good girls. I, I, I like that one. That's probably what I'd say. That's definitely a great film to be watching right now, isn't it? 
yes yes Happy yeah and great outfits such good outfits yeah 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 um well thank you so much for talking to me gosh I could talk to you all day about all these things um I could talk for Scotland that's me <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it where can we find you online online um so you can find me my websites are www.missymalone.co.uk um my shop www.malonesvintage.co.uk um I'm very prominent on Instagram so it's just Missy Malone on Instagram or Malone's Vintage on Instagram. And I'm also on Facebook, Missy Malone and Malone's Vintage. Yeah. So I'm quite easy to find if you Fabulous. on any of the platforms. Thank you so much. Well, uh, hopefully we can see you performing in person very soon, but otherwise we'll catch you on all those, in all those places. So thanks so much for chatting. Thank you for having me. Hi again, it's Carly. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to find out more or get in touch, head over to teawithkingsandqueens.com.